Welcome to the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, where we tell Alaskans what to put in their box at Alaska's comic book shop. I always wished I could do something better than comics, but there didn't seem to be anything. This is the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, and now your hosts, Lou and Amy Joe. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Lou here from Aegis Comics of Alaska, and I am with my brother, Mark Granda. How you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks, Lou. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm happy to be here to help support you, and uh, yeah. Awesome, awesome, man. Uh, so uh, Mark and I were troopers together. We, were, uh, we met uh, as investigators together, actually. Yeah. And uh, 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 you were major crimes, and I was a child abuse investigations unit. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a sec. But uh, uh, I, I'm dedicating this show to uh, uh, my buddy Devin, uh, his wife. He just lost his wife. And uh, um, for uh, Devin... If you or your family's listening to this, uh, uh, we served in the Coast Guard together. And uh, Devin, I owe you my life. Um, I cannot imagine what you're going through right now. Uh, I don't know what I would do if if I lost Amy. Um, Mark, if you lost Leah, I mean, uh, oh, yeah. I could only imagine, but I don't know. I don't know what you're going through right now. I just want you to know that you mean something to people and that your life is truly important right now. Uh, you know that you have your uh, your uh, kids and your grandkids uh, that are counting on you to be their rock right now. And man, I don't even know what that would be like to have that weight on you. But I want you to know that uh, you're my hero. Um, we were on a tactical law enforcement team together and we were in uh, Manzanillo, uh, Mexico at one point. Uh, you know that movie uh, Sicario where they're flying around on the, oh, yeah. the DEA Learjet? We did that in real life. You nice. Know? And uh, anyway, uh, at one point we were in uh, Manzanillo <clears throat> and uh, we decided to take a break and uh, we were in, uh, in the water there and th- we didn't pay attention. There's like serious uh, riptides there. And... Uh, uh, I got caught up in that, in that surf. We all did, and uh, Devin and Nate, who were there with me, they uh, they were much stronger swimmers than I were uh, was. I mean, we were all physically fit. I mean, we were a part of a tactical law enforcement team with the Coast Guard. But uh, he, um, they made it out. I just kept getting spun around underwater, and my uh, my pockets filled up with sand at one point. Oh, know, so to the point that I had to start ripping my pockets. Then I started swallowing water. And, you know, where you get to that point where you're just like, all right, well, that's it, man. I guess I'm done. And I was making my peace. I, I, I had been fighting for I don't know how long, but probably 15 minutes. And I was done. And all of a sudden, I see this hand coming through. And it's my buddy Nate. And I could hear them. You know how where you could hear yelling through water? It's muffled, but you can oh, yeah. hear it. Yeah. I could hear them through the muffled water yelling, grab on! And I grabbed on to his arm, and I didn't realize Devin was the anchor man, and he was anchored on, and he was holding on to Nate, and they risked their lives, and they, they pulled me out of the water, and I'm still here, and I, I'm here with my grandkids and stuff now. I'm here with you, and I'm here with uh, my family now because of uh, Devin. And uh, Devin, just know I love you, 
I am so ridiculously sorry for your loss, man. I don't even, I'm, I'm heartbroken. Uh, but just know that I love you. You're, you're definitely a hero without a cape. And uh, uh, I'm here doing what I'm doing today and capable of doing what I'm doing today, helping others because of you. So thank you. I'm so sorry for your loss. All right. Uh, with that being said, uh, I, I want to show you, because you've never, I don't think you've seen this picture before. Uh, you know, I, before I was in the Coast Guard, I was actually uh, on a tactical law enforcement team. And, I, you know, I have a lot of pride in that team. And this is, uh, this was uh, one of the drug busts we did. We were a counter-narcotics team. That's 3.8 tons of cocaine there. Oh, boy. So <clears> That's know, a lot. Yeah, you know. Nice. Uh, uh, it's a good seizure. Yeah, we we that one <clears throat> kilo in my hand there. Uh, that's me with hair on the <laughs> to the <laughs> far left there, with wearing a hat. <laughs> that was the last time I had hair, I believe. But uh, uh, I never filed a theft report for that. But uh, my hair is gone. Uh, but uh, uh, you I think know, you that, get a percentage with that with the VA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I should. Right. Yeah. Well, I filed. Yeah, the VA got to help me on this, man. I, I, uh, my, uh, yeah. Anyway, the. Uh, that one kilo there, I mean, uh, I, I tease my DPS brothers and sisters all the time. You know, mm -hmm. Craig Allen, I remember when I first became a, a trooper, Craig was like, how does it feel like to be a part of a real law enforcement agency? Because he knew I was in the Coast Guard. We had known each other. He was one of the first troopers I ever met, wow. ever. Yeah. Before he became grumpy, he was actually a <laughs> really funny <laughs> dude, man. Craig, I, I love Craig, man. But uh, I remember he said that to me. And he didn't understand that this is the image I had in my head right here, you know, mm -hmm. this drug bust. Uh, and for those of you that are watching the video, you can see the image up here uh, I put up on screen. Uh, but it's 3.8 tons of uh, cocaine laid out on the 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 the, uh, the, the forecastle of a of a of a frigate we were on. Uh, we were on a Navy frigate, uh, eight-man team, you know, deployed. And anyway, uh, uh, I used to joke with him. I was like, bro. It, the department would be lucky if they if they seized a kilo like we a kilo was considered personal use quantities for us on that team we would make fun of you if you had a kilo you know this is uh so each one of those bales that you see in the photo has 25 kilos in it oh my goodness so each bale is 25 kilos and you know we we would deploy right off of source countries and everything else so you know the, this is this was my lifestyle before I became a, a, an Alaska State Trooper, and then of course this was uh, my team in the in the Persian Gulf. You know we were in Bahrain, and uh, uh, you know the. Uh, I think you and I. I bring this up real quick because there's a bond with military personnel that doesn't exist in the civilian world. It doesn't exist. Oh yeah, it doesn't. Um, I believe that you and I, along with several friends that we have that we call, we considered brothers and sisters, a lot of us had that prior military, so we already understood that bond, mm -hmm. and we understood the importance of one team, one fight, absolutely, which is critical, right? And uh, uh, I think that uh, that was lost upon a lot of troopers, um, except for the prior military guys. And I say this because uh, the trooper culture is it's one riot, one trooper. So troopers typically patrol by themselves. The only time you see two troopers in a vehicle is if uh, one's under training or it's a special operation. Right. Other than that, you know, there's no there's no really bond building. You know, you and I were able to build a bond because, you know, you were former Marine and we were, uh, we did 
these major traumatic investigations with each other. Uh, uh, can you tell everybody your background of uh, essentially where you started and where you ended? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, like I said, I was in the Marine Corps as an infantry guy, um, did infantry things, and uh, got out of the Marine Corps in 1996, and then decided that uh, I was going to make law enforcement my next step. So I joined the Sika Police Department for. I was there for three and a half <laughs> years, till 2001, until I joined the Alaska State Troopers, and uh, moved around a little bit within the troopers, and uh, uh, went to Soldatna and Juno, and then. I left Juno to Anchorage and started my career in investigations, and that's where you and I met. And then kind of bounced around a few assignments and uh, went out western Alaska and then came back to the Bureau of Highway Patrol and finished up there. And uh, I've been involved with a lot of different things in my career and doing peer support work and um, pretty passionate about that. And so, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, there's this brotherhood when people uh find when we find each other when we know that we've served in the military you know at, even if you're cro across different branches there's that uh that belonging of you know we know what it's like to serve <clears throat> in adverse situations and know what it's like to count on each other's lives and we'll have each other's back no matter what um, and I think that's why a lot of us get involved in law enforcement. We, we are hoping to find that, but, um, of course that, uh, as we know, that doesn't happen, um, uh, very often. Right. And, you know, uh, uh, it was, it's not funny, but it is funny how we started working together. It was kind of a tragic storyline, but we... We had to make dark humor out of an extremely dark situation. Uh, um, I remember it was uh, that, uh, uh, and here's where it starts off dark. It started off, we met during, well, we met prior to, but, uh, oh, so sure, let's get right to it. We met during a pedophile case, a child <laughs> porn case, right? Uh, you know, you got to just rip the bandage off, right? <laughs> we met during a pedophile, a child, a, a child pornography case, a pretty large, substantial case, right? And uh, I remember how I found out about it was Matcom gives me a call and they're like, hey, because uh, I was the on-call uh, child abuse investigator at the time. And they're like, hey, we need you to uh, show up to our lobby. There is uh, some gentlemen here that uh, are disclosing that they broke into a house and, find and found child porn and want to turn themselves in. And I said, oh. Well, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and uh, the reason they called me is, uh, uh, so for people that are listening but don't know uh, uh, the technicalities, is that if somebody walks into Wasilla Police Department, or they walk into the Anchorage Police Department, and they turn around and they say uh, they want to report a crime. Okay, so they want to report a crime. Right. One of the first things the investigator asks or the investigating officer asks is where did it happen? Now, if that where falls in the jurisdiction of another department, they, they tend to send that off to the other department unless they feel that the other department uh, lacks the resources to handle that case. Right. Like, I, you know, if I get like a child abuse case out of a... a you know, uh, a Leknagik, I'm not going to forward that case to the, 
VPO or the VPSO in that village, I'm going to forward it to the next major department there because that, that's beyond their scope of being able to investigate those types of crimes, right? So they call me up. I show up to the lobby, and there's these two gentlemen there. And, you know, they look rough, man. These dudes look rough. And they're straight up. They're like, hey, man. And they were pretty emotional. And I was like, okay, this is odd. And they're like, look, we broke into this dude's house. We know him because we used to uh, we used to go to N.A. together, not for the FBI National Academy graduates, not that N.A., <laughs> although I question some of you idiots sometimes <laughs> when you go into leadership positions, but not that N.A. We're talking Narcotics Anonymous, right? Yeah. And uh, Narcotics Anonymous, uh, uh, they said, well, this dude, we didn't like him. He'd show up to the meetings, and we knew damn well he wasn't an addict, but he would show up to the meetings because he would uh, – uh, essentially groom these single moms and bring them to the house. Mm. And mm -hmm. they were like, well, we didn't like the dude. We went to his house to party one time and we decided, yeah, we'll go rob this fool. So they broke into his house while he was gone and uh, they stole a bunch of stuff and they stole a bunch of binders that they thought were like valuable baseball cards. But when they went through it, it was all child porn. And they were like, look, man, uh, we're telling you how we got it. We're telling you what we did. If you want to throw us in jail right now, we'll go to jail right now. But this dude can't get away with this stuff, man. We can't handle these Chesters, da-da-da. We have kids and, you know, even even thieves have, have uh, there's honor among thieves, right? You know, Right. They, they have a certain code they also code. live by. That's right. And that's and, and that was their code. That's you don't, you don't do that to kids. So I go through the binder. I call the DA. Uh, when you're doing child crime cases, in particular child porn cases, one of the first things you have to do is you have to identify the ages of the kids in the images, and then you have, to, and then there's categories of graphics. You know, you know, yeah. are they? Uh, is there penetration? Is there actual sex? Is it just uh, uh, just a nude image? There's just different categories, right? And uh, so I remember what what was her name? Was it? Baldwin. What was the name of the doctor that helped found uh, Children's Place? She was like the main. Oh, Doctor Kathy Baldwin. Doctor Kathy yeah, Baldwin, man. Yeah, she's man, mm -hmm. bro. They can't give this woman enough awards, man. Like, oh yeah. They can't give her enough awards. She. I don't know how many children she has saved in the state of Alaska with just what she does. And hell, she trained us. At one point, if you're if you were part of that investigations unit, you had to attend some type of class or some type of briefing with her. So yeah. uh, I remember I called her up and I was nervous as hell. It was my first like full blown child porn case. And I was like, man, how, uh, doc, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, I, I have to, for the DA, I'm going to have to identify ages and I don't know how to do it. And she's like, oh, well, there's a development scale that we use in, in child medicine. And I'll be more than happy to go through that with you. I said, well, that's awesome, you know, and right. and of course it's a little uncomfortable because you're with this lady who could be your grandmother who is now looking at child porn <laughs> with you, but this is what she does, oh, yeah. and she's really good at it. And I remember she's looking at the imagery, and she's immediately, that is a three-year-old. That is an 18-year-old made to look like a 13 or 12-year-old or a 9-year-old, but that's actually an older person. She was able to, and she was able to show me how, right? Right. And then uh, we, w we went through these images. Uh, the first binder contained like 300 images, if I recall. Uh, and uh, just uh, for, uh, for the audience, this case, I'll give you the punchline, this case ended with over a thousand images of child pornography, right? But, uh, uh, 
anyway, uh, we're looking at this these images, and um, I said, you know, as sick as the sound, I'm worried about the the prosecutor having an issue with the jury because a lot of these kids are smiling in the pictures. And, you know, you're going to have some scumbag defense attorney say, well, the kid wasn't in any danger. They, they're smiling. It's mm-hmm. not child porn. It's art, right? Because that's right. what they, they tend to claim. And she says, oh, no, 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 no. She says, I want you to look at something. And she cut out a piece of paper with like a, a, square, a rectangle and she put it over the eyes of the kids. And she says, what do you see? I said, oh, shit. You could see where the kids were like scared. You could see fear in their eyes. Mm-hmm. And you could see where they're tearing up. And they're, they're basically told, smile or I'll kill you type thing, right? Oh, yeah. Or, or I'm going to do really bad stuff to you. So these kids, you know, and a lot of these kids aren't in the United States or in, in Europe. and uh, But there are kids that, uh, that this is happening to. A lot of Native kids that this is happening to right now as we speak in, in the state of Alaska. So... Uh, she explains that to me. I'm like, okay, let's do this. So I remember uh, I remember briefing my sergeant, and I was like, man, we're going to need help because this is going to be a big case. And I remember that's where they called you, and they called Kim, and you guys showed up, and you and I did a stakeout. <laughs> did a stakeout real quick to uh, make yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> we were just shooting jokes left and right, man, because you got to uh, – otherwise you'd be crying the whole time, man. I remember we were, uh, one of the jokes was we were talking about – uh uh, God, people are going to wonder, two guys sitting in a car or something like that. You're like, oh, yes, just like the Spartans. And I said, man, I don't know, man. People are going to think that we're suspect. Two, two healthy men sitting in a vehicle together. And you're like, oh, we're just like the Spartans. We're just two men representing each other's strength. And I <laughs> fell out dying laughing. <laughs> It is. It is what it is. It is what it is, right? It is. You know. Uh, uh, but I remember we ended up executing the warrant. Uh, we executed the warrant, and halfway through the warrant, we realized uh, I don't know if it was you or somebody else. We went under the guy's couch because it wasn't me. I, I was taking notes and documenting evidence. Mm-hmm. I, I set up like a little mini command post in the living room, and a a bunch of. Uh, Bondage chains to include uh, 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 leg irons, handcuffs, and a dirty diaper was there. A rolled up dirty diaper was under the couch. So right there, we're like, Jesus Christ. You know, I had to tell everybody, we're looking for a kid now. <laughs> Everyone, start looking for a kid. There may be a kid in here. Because we did a our stakeout and our pre-intelligence before we executed the search warrant was that this guy lived by himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He did groom people. He, basically, he would show up to these NA uh, meetings uh, playing a guitar, and then uh, he would entice these single moms that were recovering uh, uh, drug addicts to come to his house, and then he would groom their kids. Mm-hmm. We end up uh, we end up pulling a bunch of child porn out of this guy's house, out of his uh, outhouses, and everything else, and. Uh, what ends up happening is, Jesus, uh, we even find a video and uh, we see that a lot of these guys, uh, if they can't get a kid, they'll find someone, a partner, someone that looks like a kid. Mm, and yeah. that's, that'll be their thing. So 
that's how we met, man. <laughs> a dark story, a dark, a dark <laughs> intro to this. But then people wonder why we have PTSD and why we struggle with things sometimes. Because we've seen some of the darkest shit out there. Oh, yeah. you know? and, and something for people to know, too, is that with child porn cases, the pedophiles that are addicted to child porn, uh, it's never one or two images. It, uh, as a matter of fact, correct me if I'm wrong, the computer crimes unit at one time testified that uh, the average child porn, porn case uh, took up a, a minimum of one terabyte of memory. Yeah. One terabyte. Uh, I forgot how many pictures that is, but that's, uh, that's over 10,000 images, I believe. That's a lot. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> the uh, – uh, and they, they store it. They don't want to ever let go of it. They, they don't delete it. They keep it. And uh, we also found out that a lot of those images, with exception of the local ones, the ones that have been documented by the, uh, uh, what's it called? The uh, uh, Clearinghouse for Missing and Exploited Children. Right. Uh, they actually have, they've actually been able to testify. A lot of these images that have been documented by them have uh, these digital footprints. So if you're one of these people that download this stuff, uh, you're immediately triggering to all of law enforcement that you you've touched this stuff, you mm -hmm. know. So that's why that's why all these uh, pedophiles get caught all the time. There's literal digital links of. So when you're on your little Mambla page on uh, on the dark web and you think you're getting away with this shit, you're not because the uh, 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 <laughs> there's digital fingerprints on this stuff that oh, yeah. trigger investigations. The only problem that I have with our system up here, and we're going to be talking, this is leading us into the, some of the main topics of corruption and right. budget and everything else up here, <clears throat> and why, uh, in particular, Alaska Native uh, uh, villages uh, get deprived of law enforcement and stuff is, for instance, with the with the ADA, you know, the assistant district attorneys and the district attorney's office, you know, uh, here's, I, I think at one point we identified a solid 300 images that fit the criteria for the felony for right. uh, uh, the class a and uh, uh I, I think even some unclassified uh felonies and the ada i remember she told me she looked me straight in my face she says we are not charging anyone with 300 counts because it's one count for every image right and she said, we're not charging somebody with 300 counts. I said, why not? I said, why do we keep doing this shit where we only charge them with three counts and then everyone's shocked why the person gets out five years later? Oh, yeah. There's yeah. Just definitely this culture at the DA's office that we don't want to overcharge and we don't want to make it look like we're trying to bully on someone. And it, and it boils down to, well, it boils down to two things that I observed. Mm -hmm. The first thing I observed was uh, they're underpaid. The ADA, they show up to trial. Let's say she showed up to trial with 300 charges, right? Mm -hmm. at, that, at that number, the defense is going to be bringing in all the help they can, right? Mm -hmm. And we've seen this before because you've had to go into court before, right, with the ADA. ADA shows up in their Ford Ranger, <laughs> their used Ford Ranger. They've got like 30 fucking boxes, <laughs> And they're hoping that the case officer, the trooper, APD, whoever the case officer is, is going to be kind enough to help them carry the boxes in. Oh, yeah. As we're walking through the parking lot, we see the defense team show up in their Cadillac Escalade. 
two or three of them with blacked out windows. They show up. They've got an entire entourage. The uh, uh, when they go through the uh, uh, security, <clears throat> their their money clip sets off the alarm, and they have to break out their ten thousand dollars cash or seven thousand dollars cash, whatever they have in their pocket with their money clip, and put it in the basket. They're clearly flexing <laughs> on the state at this point, and the ADA has to walk in. You know, with their their outfit that don't match that they just bought at Ross or you know whatever because they're still paying off debt. They know that they're only getting eighty grand a year if they negotiate at that high starting right right. While they still have student loans, while that attorney across from them is making quadruple of that just for this one case. Oh yeah, so. You're already dealing with that. That's one of the problems. Then we overwork the hell out of them because we, we, we assign them all these cases, right? And so you may take this honorable person who left law school wanting to be Captain America or Wonder Woman. And they get beat down so much with no support, no pay. Eventually, they, they're burnt out. And if you've ever wondered why you're the vi- you've been the victim of a burglary at your house, if you're listening to this right now, your house has been burglarized or your vehicle's been broken into, and you know for a fact that when they arrest the guy that did it, that person has been charged with 30 other victims. The case goes, the person gets found guilty, and you- now you're wondering, why am I not getting any restitution? Why am I not being mentioned? Mm-hmm. It's because the DA had to choose from those 20 or 30 victims and they decided to choose the top three that made it easier for them to, to get a deal with the defense. And unfortunately, you drew the short, the short straw and you're not, you're not getting justice. Oh, yeah, it happens. All I, the time. I've seen victims. It's like, what about my justice? It's like, well, you just witnessed it. That's right. <clears throat> we can, you know, and I remember at one point, I was so mad. I would be like, yo... What do I have to do to go through training? I'll I'll present the case. I'll bring the three hundred charges, man. You just sit there with a the little mic and coach me on what the hell I'm supposed to say. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I will do it, but we can't, right? It, right. It, it, that's that's a fantasy. We can't do that. But it uh, uh it that's what causes a lot of the frustration and why you know uh, uh these things don't happen. But then, and this is your fault. You sent me. Uh, you reminded me because you sent me that article about uh, uh, when, uh, um, what's his name, uh, uh, Bill Barr, the attorney general for Trump, had visited Alaska. And yeah. I remember that. I remember that yesterday. You just refreshed my memory. It's like, oh, shit, that's right, Mark, you're right. Yeah. The first thing I remember out of all of that, unfortunately, was that, uh, uh, <laughs> was that what's the first thing that happens when someone a politician or a person of importance shows up to Western Alaska. I don't know where the fuck they have this surplus. Everybody gets a fucking cuss book. Everyone gets a cuss book. It's like, uh, (laughs) well, it's uh, um, voting season right now. The cuss books are out. Yo, the cuss books are out. Yo, your ass can't spell a native name. And your ass is rocking a cuss book, man. Yo, it's like, it's like, it's like, I call it the native hoodie. You know what I'm saying? And and uh, I laugh because I'm like, yo, 
I'm 14% native, and I don't have a goddamn cuspid. Where's my fucking cuspid? Where's your cuspid? You're native, ain't you? Where's your cuspid? Ain't you part native? Yeah, I'm part Clinkett. So, oh, another, so you another, don't do cuspid. You, you, you another, got a, another region. You're, you're a warrior. <laughs> you're a, 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 your culture's the warrior region. Probably why you became a Marine. Huh? <laughs> uh, you know, it angers me <clears throat> that people that have never even... Uh, been out to Western Alaska. That's the first thing they do. They throw a cuspic on them. Okay, fair enough. I'm off. Of, I'm off the cuspic rant. <laughs> I am curious though. It's like, why don't they're... they give them a noosic <laughs> if they're gonna do it? Give them a, a, a noosic toothpick because <clears throat> that, that's about as much as you're gonna get out of some of these guys. Oh yeah, I, I don't know if there's like this, uh, like you say, there's a surplus. There's a. Are you a visiting U.S. senator or? High up politician is like, hey, stop by here real quick. We'll hook you up with it. With and a, they always with have a, um, regalia. And, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. and we always have your you size. Could. We always have your size cuspic. No matter what, we always have your size. Oh yeah. It don't matter big, small, whatever. We got your cuspic, right? That's right. And uh, anyway, he comes up, and to his credit, he agrees. This place is Broken Arrow, man. He's out in some of the villages out there in uh, North. Uh, I think he went uh, uh, Northwest Arctic Borough, right? He, he went all over. He sent some of his um, staff actually out to the Lower Yukon as well in Bethel area. Yeah. So, and there is no. I have never seen in their defense. I have never seen a U.S. federal government official show up to Western Alaska. And not shake their head and say, "What is happening here?" As a matter of fact, under the Obama administration, uh, uh, the uh, I think it was Department of the Interior. Uh, uh, he is American Indian. I forgot what tribe he's from. Lower Forty-eight, <clears throat> and I remember we were in uh, Norvik, and he turned around and he said. This place looks like the res 30 years ago. And he was talking <laughs> about his reservation. Mm -hmm. What is happening? And that's your first reaction when you first land in Western Alaska. It's like, how are we in the United States? Because, you know, being in the military and being deployed, I've been in third world countries that look better than some of the villages. Absolutely. In the richest state in the nation, mind you. Absolutely. You know, when people look at the infrastructure of some of these villages, it's it's really sad to see of what's happening in some of these places with, uh, you know, like, for instance, I was out in Imanic. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it's a considered a hub village, but it's not paved. You know, boats come in and out of there all the time. You have some jobs, especially seasonal jobs, where there's fishing is a big part of the community, but uh, those there's a lot of resources that are lacking that, you know, that you and I get to enjoy living here in the Matsu Valley out there is it's not the same. You're not going to get the same quality of things. And uh, it's just uh, an unfortunate thing. Uh, you have a. We've turned. A hunter gatherer. Warrior culture into a panhandler culture. We really have. Yeah. 
we broke them. We broke your ancestors uh, to the point that we can't... Uh, I, it's going to take ages for us to get everybody back to an equal playing field. Especially with all the corruption that's going on right now. And we're going to lead into this in a sec. Um, but my point being is, uh, I remember one time, man. And, you know, uh, I think people love me or hate me because I speak from the heart. True. You're either going to love me or you're going to hate me for what I'm about to say right now. But I remember somebody that I respect said this to me one time. This is a very educated person. And I immediately got it. And it was, you know, if they ever wanted to create a playbook of how to conquer an indigenous people and take all of their natural resources from them, the cover of that playbook would be Western Alaska. 100%. You take a people that hunted, fished, uh, a nomadic people that survived in the worst conditions. Oh, yeah. You stop them and throw them in one location. You build some churches, some schools. Uh, you put a, a store there, and you tell them, stay here. The herd may move away, but you stay here. Don't worry, we'll start providing you stuff. And then before you know it, the head of household disappears because the head of household is re is uh, replaced by uh, uh, welfare checks, free free food, quest cards, mm -hmm. and you little by little you eliminate the need for a head of household. I don't know about you, but that sounds like my old hood. <laughs> that sounds like the projects to me. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, that sounds like every hood I've ever lived in. Oh yeah. Uh, for for those of you that don't know me personally, I'm a New Yorker. I grew up in poverty, man. I grew up <laughs> a welfare broken household. I know exactly what that looks like, and I've seen that before. But for it to happen in such a small, populated state that boasts some of the highest average household income and some of the uh, most sought after natural resources. How is this happening? How is this possible? And it's some are going to be oh, Luke, conspiracy theory. No, I'm going to show you that it's fact. We're right. we're going to go right into the uh, this next thing, which is the the nine one one report. Man, this shit has me lit, bro. Hmm. So you see the names on there of a. Uh, uh, people we know there's some people we don't know there's uh the one thing i don't see anywhere on there unless you saw because uh i sent this to you did you see an alaska native name anywhere on there no no i didn't no you didn't did you mm. uh i am looking everywhere on there for some type of representation i saw zero now there's some solid people that were there yeah susan hall is a solid, solid public servant. Solid. Her her background in emergency service, emergency de uh, 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 dispatching. Hell, she's an instructor. I would absolutely need it to be on there. 100% needs to be there. Mm -hmm. Edna, the mayor of Palmer, 
love her or hate her, I got to meet her in person, right? <laughs> and she makes me laugh because she's like that grandma that has the two the two modes. She's the one that you ask her to bake you cookies, but then you could go to a bar fight with and she's and she goes and she's gonna throw hands. She's a tough lady, right? She's the mayor of the Matsubura right now. Once again, love her or hate her. <clears throat> I real recognize as real. If I would go into a fist fight, I'd bring her with me. And if I needed cookies, I'd ask her to bake them. Like th- th- she fills both those guys. She was there, mm-hmm. and she had to really force her way onto there, onto this governor's appointed uh, work group mm-hmm. for nine one one. Determining nine one one services, who gets them, who doesn't, where the money goes, and everything else. Edna was there because she needed to represent her city at the time, Palmer, because Palmer had the nine one one services. They, they were the they were the primary nine one one, and then Matcom would dispatch for WPD and, right. and for uh, 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 troopers, right? So she's there representing her stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Got it. Rodney Dahl is representing, uh, he's a retired trooper representing uh, Soldatna and representing their communication center. Okay. Uh, you got, I think, the mayor of Kenai is there. And then you got Bernard Chastain, who is, uh, uh, he went from wildlife. He's worked as a wildlife trooper his whole career. His whole career, yeah. a wildlife trooper. And then he, uh, it's my understanding that uh, then director Doug Massey and him were bumping heads, so they forced him. He was going to get terminated, so they forced him over to the commissioner's office. Yeah, I don't know if you knew this or not. They, I didn't. They no, forced no. him over to the commissioner's office, and that's where he's working, right? Right. <clears throat> and I haven't heard of any complaints of people working for him. I have some beef with him because uh, uh, I've told you before about how I felt that. Now, I Full disclosure, I have some very close friends that I consider family that are wildlife troopers. Right. And I love them to death. They're my they're my fam. And they have never treated me wrong. But Bernard Chastain is one of the most racist motherfuckers I've ever met in my life, man. Oh boy. This dude's a racist motherfucker. And I'm gonna say it straight up. I went I, I tried to be the lieutenant. I went to apply for lieutenant for uh, uh Alaska Wildlife Troopers. Mm-hmm. I, my resume, a lot of people don't know this, isn't just traveling all over the state as an Alaska State Trooper, performing damn near every single duty in the Alaska State Troopers, and being a certified boat operator with the department. I was actually, in the Coast Guard, I did Gulf fisheries. I used to teach fisheries enforcement. I used to teach it at the federal level. I did that for years. It's in my resume. <laughs> and everything was cool with it, with him and I, as long as I wasn't trying to be a wildlife trooper. Do you know how heartbroken I was when I called him up and said, hey, man, uh, I, want, I want to look into this position because you're supposed to ask the board member, uh, not right. the board member, uh, the person in tr- who supervises that lieutenant, you're supposed to do your research. Hey, man, what are your expectations? He cut me off. He says, why do you want to do this? Why would you want to? What's your motive to be here? Like, he was immediately discouraging me. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't put two and two together at the time. I said, oh, damn, man. I'm not the right color, bro. Because like, he ended up, uh, they ended up, they would have closed it out. But they wait until they can get a white dude to take those positions. Mm. There has never been a black 
there's never been a black uh, wildlife trooper except for one years ago. And Bernie and them drove that motherfucker out. They don't like they don't like people mm. of color in that division, man. Very rare. And then the Alaska wildlife troopers that are uh, Alaska native in that division, they get shit on all the time. I'll bring I'll bring a trooper on one of these days to talk about that. We've witnessed it, but we can't speak for him. Yeah. Uh, I'm so mad right now. I'm trying, <laughs> and I know you're biting your tongue. But these are guys. I just want you to know here. I heard a quote. It's, this is why I'm so amped right now. Here's my quote. Yeah. The quote yesterday, I heard this. Because I wasn't even going to say this stuff today. I was just going to keep my mouth shut and sure. say. The quote was, I succeed in life because I want to be up more than other people want me to be down. I want to be up more than other people want me to be down. And you know who said that? Of all things, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson said that. <laughs> Mike Tyson's given us a couple of cool quotes, you know. And I, growing up in Queens, New York, where if you got bullied and you didn't fight back, your entire life from that point on was going to be bullied. Right. The first time I got bullied, I remember this dude spit on me and called me a spick. I was five years old, man. And this dude was 16 years old. I remember going to one of the people that I've respected in my life, my Aunt Sylvia. And my Aunt Sylvia, she was a fucking terror, man. She was a tomboy, and she could fight. I don't know if she's ever lost a fight. <laughs> and I remember that was the first time I ever heard this term. She said, what did he call you? I said, he called me a spick, and I'm in tears. She said, and she, first thing she did, she was tough love. She was like, you need to stop crying. Stop being a bitch. I was like, oh, shit. Man, I'm five years old. And she's like, uh-uh. She said, first off, spick is an acronym. It stands for special person in control. You're in control. Next time that dude does that, even if you lose, you punch him back. Hit him with a rock if you have to. Grab a brick and hit him. But you hit him back. Yeah. And that stayed with me, man. That stayed with me. You got to fight for yours and you got to, you, you have to be in control, right? You can't let, if you allow people to make you a victim, then you're going to stay a victim. You know, you, you, now there's something, now there are times where you need someone to fight for you. I couldn't physically beat this 16 year old, but I ended up rallying enough people where we did defeat this 16 year old. Okay. So, <clears throat> sometimes you have to rally people to help you fight bullies and that's okay too. Yeah. But anyway, Bernard Chastain, a guy who represents a division for his entire career who has no experience with 911 whatsoever. The fuck is he doing on this work group? That's like the last person I would have put on this work group. Yeah. And on top of that, he don't like minorities in his division. So why on earth are you going to put a guy who knowingly hates being around minorities in charge of a system that primarily services minorities? 16% of the population in the state of Alaska is Alaska Native. They are uh, responsible for over 68% of all of the calls for service in the state of Alaska in terms of you know who's calling for help, right? right. Why do I have this white dude in charge of that shit. Why is there no representation on here? Rockwell 
who works for the department. He's the one. This is how I found out about the 911 uh, issues. Because mm -hmm. Rocco, he's a nice guy. He's actually a real nice guy. Helpless, though. He, he don't have no power. Right. He's just, he's the bean counter. He's mm -hmm. the program. Uh, hey, look, I'm just trying to explain to you what's going on with this program. I'm the DPS guy who's supposed to be advising and helping this thing to, <clears throat> to work the best that we can. But he has no authority. He can only bring numbers, right? Right. And it's my understanding through my sources, and I have a lot of sources, that he, he was specifically ordered not to speak by the governor's office at this work group. Wow. The governor's office said, you, thou shalt not speak at this work group. You're just there to provide some numbers and stuff. Because Rockwell knows about all of the villages that don't have 911 service because we as the sergeants would have to, and the oversight troopers would have to call him. Remember, we, he would send out little things. Like, hey, can you tell me if, you're, if your uh, village has 911? No, we have a 1-800 number. <laughs> if so-and-so is getting their ass kicked or if so-and-so is having a heart attack, they better pray that as their vision's blurring, as they're getting ready to lose consciousness, that they can dial one eight. Zero zero seven. Four. Oh God! What's uh, I mean eight? Oh, oh God! I mean, I mean, four. get out of here with that! It's a human right. It's a basic human right. These people should be every citizen in the state of Alaska should be entitled to nine one one. Every state in Alaska, every citizen in Alaska, every community in Alaska should be allowed to have, and is worthy of having the basic public safety. Worthy of having it, right? Absolutely, it's part of the infrastructure. Part of the infrastructure that's missing in Western Alaska. That they can't call for help. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, how many times did you respond to someone, and you find out that, uh, or you, here's a better question: How many times did you show up in the village and you ended <clears throat> up hearing about something that happened days ago? An assault or sexual? <laughs> how many times did that happen? Frequently, I can't. I can't count because you run into those folks that like I didn't know how to reach you guys because I didn't have the 800 number to call right. the troopers. Right. And granted, you know, they could ask someone, but you know, sometimes what if they're incapable of leaving the house for whatever reason? The fact that they have to ask someone, how many times do we make fun of people that, hey, what's your phone number? 911. Right? We oh, joke, yeah. hey, what's your phone number? Trooper 911. Not in this village, it isn't. It's 1-800-something or other. We don't know what that 1-800 number is. Mm -hmm. Well, we posted it at all your native stores and your bingo hall. That's not how that works. You're giving them, you're mandating that they memorize more than seven digits. Sure. How many of you know your, your friend's phone number by heart? All your friend's phone numbers by heart. You got to look in your phone, you right? You got to look at the phone. You got to look at the phone. <laughs> and 911, everybody knows what that is. Absolutely. And now suicide awareness, 811. Alaska Native Villages, my Alaska family that's listening to this right now, do not hold your breath on having that service available to you anytime soon. Because these people, this work group that was reporting to the governor, they can't get you that help. I don't know any of these other guys. 
The one person I do know on here who's the vice chairman, Jacob Butcher. Hmm. Jacob Butcher. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. Jacob Butcher, ladies and gentlemen, the vice chairman. He is currently the director of MATCOM, a law enforcement communications entity, right? Right. The primary communication center for law enforcement, uh, for public safety in the state of Alaska right now. This dude is banned from ever, ever applying to be an Alaska state trooper. He's banned. Wow. You're hearing it first from me. Wow. I was the supervisor of the background investigations unit. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into detail, although I can, of what felony crimes he committed and disclosed to us during the hiring process. And by the way, if you are applying for a law enforcement agency and you disclose criminal activity because you know that we're going to be doing a polygraph and psychological and we're going to end up finding it out. You don't have any protections. You're approaching a law enforcement agency. It's not the other way around. I remember this was one of the first fights I won with Brittany Patsky, but clearly I'd have to say now that I lost that fight because he stole. Not only is he employed still with MATCOM, he's the fucking director of MATCOM, and he's in charge of the 911 work, or work group that decides whether or not people are going to get funding. And this mm-hmm. dude's like the biggest thief. Confirmed. I remember speaking to him on the phone and telling him he was disqualified Wow! for dishonesty and for committing felony crimes that he disclosed to us. We should have prosecuted him. We should have went to Wasilla police and told them, you need to prosecute this dude. This dude needs to be in jail right now. At the very least, he needs to be paying restitution or he needs to, uh, uh, you know, he needs to, he can't be doing what he's doing, right? Right. This is not rumor, ladies and gentlemen. I spoke to the guy. I reviewed his case. I actually spoke to the background investigator who I supervised. We have these meetings because we have the uh, legal counsel at the time. Because Brittany Patsky would jump in and be like, guys, we need to protect the integrity of the hiring process. No one will ever apply if we're going to be disclosing crimes that they disclose to us. Bitch, we're a law enforcement agency and we can't have people committing crimes wearing the uniform. What is wrong Uh. with you? And it was this former prosecutor who was our legal counsel that had to check her and say, we absolutely can turn this over. Bro, we've had dudes disclosing child molestation to us during the background investigation. I've worked some of those cases when I worked major crimes. I've been called up and my supervisor would call me in and say, hey, we had this guy who wanted to be a state trooper and he disclosed this. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, we had a guy. Okay. I don't want to confuse people because some people will be listening right now. They're going to be like, oh, Jacob did that. No. Jacob committed felony crimes that he disclosed to us that had to do with theft and dishonesty. <clears> hmm. <throat> The example I'm going to give right now, Jacob did not do this. Jacob still shouldn't be in the position he's in right now. Jacob should be in handcuffs and jail right now. He should not be, or at the very least, he should be paying restitution. But he absolutely should have no voice whatsoever 
And who gets 911 services and who doesn't? The fuck out of here. I don't know who you slept with. I don't know who you're friends with. Uh, I don't know if you and uh, the governor uh, 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 are buddies. I don't give a rat's ass. You don't need to be in that position. It's out there. Anybody want to come contact me? Contact me. If you're a friend of Jacob and you want smoke, I'm right here. I love that smoke. Come get it. But anyway, now I'm mad. Now I'm mad. So now I'm pissed. I remember on a comedy side, dark comedy, we had a guy who applied for us. And during the background investigation, because, you know, they know they're going to get polygraphed. And they know there's a psychological checklist and everything. So they got to talk about stuff that they normally don't. I know that, number one, one of the most popular things that was coming up for a while was guys having peanut butter licked off of their genitalia by their dogs. That was one of the biggest disclosures ever. Uh. And it was getting to the point that my background investigators, uh, my criminal investigations tech, and my receptionist, we'd look at each other. We'd have these meetings. We'd be like, is this, a, is this like a new college thing? Is this like a trend that we're not... Like this, this we haven't what, been told about. Yeah, this is before the TikTok challenge. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Imagine. Yeah, this is before TikTok. It's before all that stuff, right? You know, one guy, the one that sticks in my mind to this day and has me scarred for life, he discloses, and his wife supports this, by the way, because we interviewed a spouse too, right? That he's into infantilism. I did not know what this is. Do you know what infantilism is? I'm not familiar. Infantilism is where you dress up like a baby and you wear a diaper and you soil your diaper oh and your partner comes in and cleans your diaper and breastfeeds you and everything else. And I remember we interviewed the spouse and the spouse was like, hey, you know, we bond doing this stuff and I really support it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, you got to be professional about the whole thing. Sure. These are the types of people trying to wear the uniform right now. <laughs> right. So. And the background unit has a tough job of trying to be the uh, gatekeeper for this stuff, right? And the psychologist. And by the way, the psychologist who always, always supported our decisions, Brittany hated the psychologist so much that she pushed to get him removed. And she did, she used all of her political connections to get him removed from the contract because we don't have that psychologist anymore. Wow. And it's because she did not like a psychologist mm -hmm. that worked with the recruitment staff and shared with the recruitment staff findings because we needed to know what to avoid. What the hell is happening out there that we should be, you know, what are the trends and stuff, you know? Sure. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> there's scores. You have uh, uh, a an A is somebody who's super psychologically fit to... And ready to do perform the duties. You got the A minus. You got your B's. Typically, your C's. The C was the cutoff. C is the lowest you could get. Mm -hmm. C minus. There's no way. That's definitely. That's like a, a D. That might as well be an F. Okay. Right. So C minus. You should not be hiring C minuses. C is like borderline. You got some social issues. You got a, a or you have a. Every so often, a B minus and a C, a guy just went through a nasty divorce. Mm -hmm. Male or female, child custody involved. That'll affect you. Or they just got back uh, from a war zone and you know they've suffered some losses. 
And right. now, now you got a C, right? C minus and below, you do not hire those people. They have, they have issues that uh, are more than likely not going to get resolved anytime soon. An F means sociopath never getting resolved even with treatment not happening, right? Right. So we've hired a couple of C minuses. I'm not going to say their names, but we've hired a couple of C minuses. And it was actually the Alaska Wildlife Troopers that hired a couple of C minuses. Even after my protest. So I love that I have this platform because I can educate the people on what's going on with their tax dollars and what's going on with their with their funding. People, First thing, people are going to correct me. There's no state tax, hence the Department of Public Safety is immune from a comment like that. That's not true because they, they are funded by federal tax dollars as well. A lot of their programs are federally tax funded, which means your tax dollars again. <laughs> and I can tell you as a business owner, I paid a shit ton of, uh, of uh, uh, federal tax and I, I could talk all the shit I want, especially when you're spending my money inappropriately. Full circle, William Barr, Attorney General, says these villagers are ate up. They need protection. They need protection now. We're going to fund a, a set number of troopers to be assigned in these villages. <clears throat> and we're going to specifically say what villages. Right. DPS doesn't do that. DPS, they get the money, and they put them where they feel like it. If they can even recruit troopers, because the way, you know, I'm not talking, there are good troopers, and there are, the vast majority of the troopers wearing the uniform, the vast majority of the wildlife troopers, of the CSOs, of the, uh, of the uh, federal fire, of the, uh, excuse me, deputy fire marshals, the civilian staff at the Department of Public Safety, your criminal justice techs, your uh, crime lab employees, your uh, statewide services employees, I would give my life for. They are family to me. I would do anything for them. This is why I do the podcast, because I'm right. speaking for them. I'm saying the things that they can't say, because they would get terminated. They would be target locked and terminated. Anyone that's trying to paint me as anti-law enforcement, you're full of shit. I've dedicated my entire life to this uniform and I can assure you that he wouldn't be sitting next to me if I was anti-law enforcement <laughs> and uh, anti-government I'm anti-corruption I don't like it I get mad when people put that badge on to implement their own agendas and not what they swore to do absolutely and that could be some of the thing too people don't like it when you speak out and that that could be some of the blowback that's out there. <clears throat> I mean, you're my brother. You are not, definitely not anti-law enforcement <laughs> and not anti-government. No, no, absolutely not. Um, definitely, you believe in the cause. And uh, like you said, there's some really great people out there still doing the work. Oh, yeah. And like you said, there's no way that someone who's currently, especially with the troopers, could have a voice. There's no, no. way that person would be ridiculed. And, you know, uh there be consequences for that. That uh, the corruption is all over that department, but it's in places of leadership. It's that should be leaders, but they're managers. Okay, right. Where you desperately need leadership, you end up with managers. The former director of Alaska Wildlife Troopers, 
Doug Massey. Mm-hmm. He's running for state office right now. And there's a good chance he might get office. Listen to me, people. You're out your fucking mind if you vote for that guy right now. And let me explain why. Now, Doug and I, we've had our run-ins. I've cursed that dude out before. Like he, <laughs> uh, our, our connection, him and I, is that uh, his father, uh, God uh, rest in peace, I would consider one of my mentors, someone that I respected. I met him just after he retired at the Matsu Crime Stoppers. This is a man who bled blue. Family dedicated to law enforcement. It was always everybody else first. Always. Always, always, always. Yeah. <clears throat> so utmost respect to that family and, and their and their legacy. Doug, him and I have always had run-ins. Doug's shortcomings. Now, Doug, also a lifetime Alaska Wildlife Trooper. Man, it sounds like I'm shitting on them and I'm not. Because Alaska Wildlife Troopers, if it wasn't for them, <clears throat> I mean... You know how many lives they've saved through search and rescue alone? As a matter of fact, somebody finally got smart and assigned them search and rescue as the primary duties. Hmm. Because they have all the resources to do it. They have the snow machines. <laughs> they have the aircraft. They have the boats. It's all theirs. You know, The, the yeah. blue shirts on occasion get to borrow those toys. And we usually get their, their hand-me-downs, the stuff that's already broken. They get all the new toys because they have to protect our natural resources, right? And right. their cases are just as dangerous, if not more, than ours in many cases because they're dealing with everyone they're dealing with is armed, <laughs> and they're yes. always out in the middle of nowhere, and they have no radio contact, and you know. Uh, anyway, uh, so there are some heroes within that division. So yeah. let, let, let me let me put that out there. There are some heroes without capes within that division. Um, Okay, I got to mention one hero, Jane Scheid, female Alaska wildlife trooper. Yeah. This woman, I don't know if you knew this or not, would volunteer her horse. She would go out on horseback out into uh, into Bush, Alaska, you know, into the hunting grounds up there Mm -hmm. in the Fairbanks region. And she would just tell you, hey, she would tell dispatch of them, I'm going to be done for a couple of days. If I'm not back by the third day, come get me. Otherwise, I'm going to be gone. And she would go out with her horse. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she'd have prisoners that she'd bring back, just like the Old West. And she's this short little thing, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I've met Jane. Yo, Jane, yeah. is, Jane is, a, is a beast, man. Never complained. Just took her hit. She knew, she knew that this agency hated females in the agency. She knew that. But yo, she never let it. Uh, she 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 understood the assignment. The assignment was, uh, uh, I'm here to service the people of Alaska. I'm not here to deal with these. These idiots are never going to change. Jane should have been colonel at one point. She should have been promoted up the ranks. She she deserved that. But there was no way that they were going to allow that to happen, especially not in that division. Right. And she worked harder than most guys in that division, hands down. Hands down. There's not many people. How many guys you know that would jump, that would bring their, buy their own horse and go out on patrol on horseback? <laughs> All right. You just went blank because that's uh, the same thing I have. Uh, no. No. Nobody. No. Nobody. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> um, with that being said, uh, Doug knew nothing about actual law enforcement. He knows wildlife. 
and even wildlife, I would caution that he spent more time at the union than he did on the job, in my humble opinion. He was the president of the union for quite some time. Now, one of the most corrupt things I've ever witnessed was this thing with the current governor right now. He wasn't governor at the time. He was a uh, he was candidate running against Walker. Mm-hmm. Now has Dunleavy done some good things? Yeah, he's done some good things. I'm not gonna shit on the guy for that. Right. But there's some corrupt shit that he's done too, like this 911 stuff and this thing with Doug. So Doug, Doug doesn't know this. Doug's gonna know this right now when he hears this podcast. But when you're the union president. That doesn't give you carte blanche to endorse a political candidate or to negotiate pay raises for one member or group of members versus another group of members without permission from the political action committee and the committees that allow you to be president in the first place. Right. That includes the historically disenfranchised of PSEA, which is your airport fire and your court service officers. They are historically, historically left behind on every single negotiation. Every single negotiation. Hmm. Airport fire, they're police officers that also have to be paramedics and firefighters. They deserve to get paid the same amount of money as everybody else in that job classification. They're doing two jobs for the price of one. (laughs) Doug would not negotiate for them and would not negotiate for the court service officers. He was negotiating on behalf of troopers and wildlife troopers only. And he was going to Juneau and meeting with Dunleavy and already campaigning and promising him PSEA votes on behalf of PSEA. If Doug were stupid enough to deny this, I want you to know, Doug, when the legal counsel was telling you, bro, you can't do that, It's illegal and it's a violation of all of the PSEA rules. And you started shouting at this person, bringing them to tears and telling them, stay in your fucking lane. I'm in charge. You work for me. Bro, I was sitting right in front of that person with my wife. We were sitting right there. Amy and I were sitting right in front of this person and we heard the whole phone call. We could hear you screaming over the phone, you asshole. This person was supposed to be there to help you. To help you not do stupid things. Oh, and by the way, Doug, I'm aware of the NDA. So don't be stupid, bro. Don't be stupid. I already know about the NDA. Just do the right thing. Do the right thing. I personally think he shouldn't shouldn't be running right now. He should just cancel his entire campaign right now. While he's ahead. Because. The NDA that I talk about. Can be revealed during a subpoena. If it's subpoenaed. So it's not a true NDA. There's no such thing as a true NDA. I'm aware of. all. I'm aware of it. That's all. That's all you need to know about. 
So how are we going to then take a person who uses their power as a PSEA president, who's supposed to be fighting for our housing. Every time I called up for housing, remember our housing in Western Alaska was all ate up, mold. I'm, I'm going to show, because uh, I don't want to lengthen the show too long. I'm going to show pictures um, on the next show of what our housing looked like in Kotzebue and in Dillingham. Hmm. Bro, I, mm-hmm. our master bedroom, they cut a hole through the wall and ran an electrical cord so that we can have power in the master bedroom. <laughs> our house was built in like the 1940s or 1950s as a cannery house and got carted over. Mm-hmm. It was owned by the U.S. Fish and Game Service and then it got uh, transferred over to DPS for like a dollar. I remember... Uh, uh, Barry Wilson and Rick Rick Roberts telling me, stop talking about the housing. You're going to demoralize everybody. <laughs> no, we're talking about the housing because it's a contract issue. We're not landlords. We're not in the landlord business. Motherfuckers, you collect, you collect rent. If you collect rent, you became a landlord. Oh, yeah. How much did you pay for your housing? How much was your rent? Uh, <clears throat> I worked two on two off, and it was just under 700 bucks. So that'd be... Like uh, twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. And, so. and uh, what size was your housing? It was a three bedroom. Except you know, here's the thing: is one of the things that came up when I was there is you know sometimes we would have visiting troopers and wildlife troopers, and it kind of it was expected that I was just gonna house those visiting troopers, even though they're not paying my rent, mm-hmm. and I'm not getting um, anything taken off my rent for housing other troopers that are visiting from other regions. Mm. But it was expected. You, yeah, you but they're not that. paying rent. No. The union under Doug would never fight for that stuff. Yeah. Him and Jess Carson yeah. would never fight for any of that stuff. They told, No, that's not our issue. I'm like, it's not a contract issue. Yeah, it is, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. It's in the contract. Yeah. It clearly states in the contract, it outlines what the housing agreement is, what the condition of housing is supposed to be, and how much we pay for housing based off of the condition of the housing, based off of the Anchorage housing market. Mm-hmm. Not based off of the Bethel housing market. Not based off of the Amonic or the Selowick or Norvik or Kayana housing market. It's based off of the Anchorage market. We're supposed to have a garage, a storage, and we're supposed to have a... a you know, decent living. Right. Comparable to Anchorage. If we don't, we get to lower, pay a lower rent. The way I knew about what the rent was supposed to be for my house, it used to be DOT at one point. Right. DOT came in and they, the DOT, because DOT owned our housing for a while. And DOT said, we charge our employees $300 a month for a house in this condition. That's what we charge. Wow. And because <clears throat> of the condition of the house. Mm-hmm. The house had asbestos. The stairs were not to standards. The stairs were like super steep. And people, the movers fell down the stairs. My brother-in-law fell down the stairs. I assume my, uh, my son-in-law fell down the stairs. My wife fell down those stairs. Uh 
I mean, it was just horrible. Mm. And Brittany Patsky and Brinky and all these guys would just laugh about it. And the people that should have taken that smile off of Brittany's face, the union under Massey, never did anything. Because Massey was like, man, I'm, I'm getting ready to get promoted, man. The governor, me and, me and him are doing the secret handshake right now, bro. As soon as he gets elected governor, and uh, by the way, under Massey, they came up with like this custom PSEA cups, uh, 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 cuss book. Did you see? <laughs> Yo, PSEA was biting, man. They, they came up with their own version of a cuss book. Remember that? They had like their own version. They have their own version of a cuss book that they, that they gave to Dunleavy. Dunleavy was rocking the PSEA endorsement and all that stuff, you know. And uh, um, I, I recall PSEA giving them a, a special jacket with our, our right. logo. Right. That was all Doug. That was all Doug. And that was before the pack had voted. And Doug would bully people, man. Doug was straight up bullying people. Hmm. That's why he didn't fuck with me because I would curse him out. You know, I'd Man. curse him out all the time. I'd say, no, you ain't talking to me like that. What the hell's wrong with you? You work for me. I don't work for you. You know, but anyway, you got that. Here's a guy who couldn't even deal with housing issues and resolve housing issues and negotiate housing issues. He makes a secret pact with the governor because they're buddies. Uh, the candidate, the candidate Dunleavy. Becomes the first sergeant in the history of the department, let alone a wildlife sergeant, to become, to go straight from sergeant to colonel, to director, division director. Now, this is all going to go full circle. The commissioner at the time, lover or hater, was the first female commissioner in the history of the department. Amanda Price, non-cop. She was never a cop. Right. They're not required to be to no. be a commissioner. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I have mixed feelings about it. I think that that might have been part of her undoing because uh, she, because of her lack of law enforcement experience, she allowed people in her inner circle that ended up being devastating for her. You know, she relied on people to mm. advise her that shouldn't have been advising anyone. <laughs> but that's what happens, right? Uh, the only time, this is a fact, feel free to check the facts. Every trooper with over 10 years on can verify what I'm going to say right now. The only time Brinky and Wilson, with their nasty history in the department of laziness and corruption and everything else the only time they promoted was under non dps uh people that came into the department i uh, and let me explain the only time they promoted up the ranks was when monaghan was commissioner who came over from apd and uh adi holloway was the colonel and then fast forward, you had a, a, a well, yeah. Then you had, then you had a, again when Monaghan came back, and then when Amanda came back. Excuse me, when Amanda came to the department, those are the only times these guys could promote because since those commissioners didn't grow up in the in the department, they didn't know about them or their reputation. So it allowed these guys that are sociopaths to be able to groom people 
because that's what they would do. They'd show up to parties and everything. They'd be because there's no one that says, "Oh, Barry Wilson, man, he, he's really he's really funny guy. He shows up to the parties. Everybody likes him, and they don't realize he's a creep, man. He was trying to he's probably trying to sleep with your wife or your daughter at the time. You just didn't you didn't catch him staring at her chest at the entire time, right? That that's Barry uh. Brinky, same reputation. You know, he, there was a reason why I reported both of them for sexual misconduct. Whistleblower, flat out whistleblower, and uh, Brittany, you, you didn't pay for it in the courts, but let me tell you something, girl. Karma's going to catch up to you. You're going to pay for all the people you hurt through karma. Guarantee it. It just, it always, it always catches up to us, man. If you do wrong to people, would you agree? It, it just catches up. Life just has a way of catching up to you, man. Oh, yeah. You and I had this conversation with talking past people who have done wrong during their careers, have retired and went on to have poor, really poor health. Poor health. Poor, just come poor. Up. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, things have not worked out. The, the world was not kind to them in, re in return for their misdeeds that they did while they are doing because of what they've done. Right. It's, You're right. It comes around. It comes around. So, the... Let me get back on topic. I apologize. Uh, so, Amanda, uh, as the commissioner, she's already surrounded. She has some really good people around her. Let me not shit on her whole staff. But she, unfortunately, she got infiltrated by some, some people that had no business having any link with her, any any influence on her decisions whatsoever. To her credit, when she became aware of these bad players, she got rid of them. To her credit. To her credit. If you give anybody a, a good amount of time, they'll figure it out. Right. And I, I, I do feel that Amanda, had she been given enough time, and I talked about this on Lad podcast, Amanda needed about eight years to fix the department. Yeah. Because she did that survey, immediately realized during that survey that people were not happy, identifying who the the responsible party was at the time was Barry Wilson. Mm -hmm. But another person that was responsible for misconduct was Doug Massey. She demoted Doug Massey from director back to sergeant. And the union would always try to interfere, you know, even though he didn't have union protection at the time. Although there's rumor that uh, he, he negotiated a deal where he remained in the union. He, he maintained in his contract his, uh, his status in the union while he was uh, director. So that in the event that he was demoted, he, he would not lose his job. He'd go back as a sergeant. So he didn't have protection from the union in terms right. of as a director. But should he be uh, in the position where he was getting demoted, he had it in his contract to go back to sergeant. I don't know how he did that. Somehow he's able to work that out. Uh, God bless him for doing that. Still a little bit shady because typically, if they fire you as director, you probably shouldn't be <laughs> wearing a badge or a uniform, right? So I do know that at one point he called her a bitch in front of some peers and some witnesses. Wow. And I understand that, you know, he's flexing because, you know, the governor's got his back. And so I explained in the last podcast, uh, the problem 
with changing the department is that the department is controlled by appointed positions, right? So uh, if they're worried about what the chief of staff is going to be doing in retaliation for the acts that they, the decisions they make, uh, they end up getting hamstrung. It's a good chief of staff because make no mistake, the, the the governor typically, you know, obviously the governor is the boss of the chief of staff. This governor, I think, is a little more active than most in that regard. The chief of staff is the one who, who, who does the hiring and firing for commissioners, right? right. The chief, of, a good chief of staff, says, as long as you're not committing any crimes, run your department. Man. Don't hurt people. Don't bring civil liability upon the fine state of Alaska. You're good to go. Mm -hmm. Follow the laws. Run your department. Make your department better than when you got there. If I'm chief of staff or I'm governor, that's my mantra. You're the commissioner. You're, the, you're, you're in charge of this department. Your role and your only role is to make it a better place than when you, than when you got there. That's your job. Yeah. They can't do that shit, though. So Doug knows that he can do whatever he wants without consequence because he can call up his daddy, Daddy Dunleavy, and get away with whatever. And he proved that shit, too. She demoted him. Dunleavy puts his ass back as sergeant and says, no, nah, nah, not only is he not demoted, you're fired. And <laughs> they fire her. Now, back to the 911. What they used to terminate her was the fact that she was one of the few people in a position of authority that was saying the same things that I'm saying and that you're saying and that a lot of good people are saying that the 911 system in the state of Alaska in terms of access by all Alaskans is broken. It is unfair. Which is why she was promoting two dispatch centers, a north and a south dispatch center. Mm -hmm. Dispatch centers that actually knew the villages. Jacob Butcher, once again, should be in jail, shouldn't be in charge of what he's in charge of right now, and they keep giving him more contracts and they keep awarding him more, more money there. Hell, he's his own division now. He's not even part of WPD. He's his own, he's his own department. That's insane. Hey, Mayor of Wasilla, you better do something about this. Anyway, uh, by the way, uh, real quick, Matcom, remember when we were on, on patrol, uh, you would do dispatch feedback forms, remember? If oh, dispatch yeah. fucked up. Yeah. She was armed with thousands of these damn dispatch feedback forms that we would fill out mm -hmm. from back in the day, man. Like Before 2007, we were filling these things out against Matcom. This, you know, you you call for assistance and the dispatcher, you could clearly eating, you hear them eating potato chips and they're like, oh, uh, uh, can you repeat again? Covered by chips. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> you know, it, it, not all of them are like that, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Every so often that would happen. You'd have a bad dispatch and a bad dispatcher. They didn't know where any of her troopers were and you'd file a complaint. Yeah. This was happening over and over and over again. And the way the system worked was... 911 would get called. The call would get picked up in Palmer. 
Palmer would then determine whether or not it was fire or police. If it was fire, a fire medical police. If it was fire medical, they took care of it. If it was Palmer police, they took care of it. If it was troopers or WPD or Houston PD at the time, or Glen Allen or whatever, then they would call MATCOM, which had the trooper contract. Right. Which has historically always been understaffed for it. Yeah. And then, so if you're wondering why it's taken so goddamn long for someone to come and, and save you, that's what was happening. So Amanda proposed that we, we have our own dispatch centers again, which we used to have back in the day. It was at the National Guard Armory was where the uh, dispatch center was. And prior to that, I guess it was in the basement of uh, DPS. So they decide they're going to, uh, this is the best way to go because those dispatchers are familiar or will become very familiar with Western Alaska villages, the names of these guys in the villages and everything else, right? right. And so... What ends up happening is uh, 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 the dispatch centers in Kenai and in MATCOM realize that their livelihood's about to be taken away from them because Sildatna Dispatch, I think it was, and not Kenai, Sildatna Dispatch, and uh, uh, MATCOM were about to lose the state trooper contracts. Mm. So what they do is they call up they tell their mayors and their city managers and they start calling all their political friends and their senators because they don't give a rat's ass about the safety of the public. They care about who's getting that William Barr Department of Justice money. <laughs> That's what they're worried about. Who's getting that cheddar? Who's getting that money, right? They don't care. Make no mistake. Jacob does not give a shit if you're getting raped right now. Jacob could give a, a flying fuck if you're in Selowick getting raped right now. He doesn't care. He doesn't even know who you are. He doesn't even know how to spell Norvik. He doesn't know how to spell Kayana. He doesn't know that there's two tickets in the, in the uh, Northwest Arctic region. There's two T's and one T. He doesn't know any of that stuff. He, don't know, he doesn't know which village is dry, which village is wet. He doesn't know any of that stuff. He doesn't care. He just needs to make sure that he gets paid. He needs that money. They got to give him that money. Because if he don't, if Matcom loses that contract, there's no reason to have Jacob as a director. Jacob loses his job. Wasala PD, a growing department, still needs their own dispatch, but they don't need this large dispatch center that they have. Chief of Police takes over that dispatch center. They still have the repeaters and shit. They can still communicate with their guys, but they don't need to be handling rural alaska because they don't know what they're doing nor do they care clearly they don't because you got the guy in charge of matcom and you got the uh uh the mayors down in uh uh, uh kenai and soldatna speaking for the villagers in the lower yukon speaking for all these people all these stakeholders that they don't know their names they don't want to know their names because they don't show up to their election booth, so they don't give a rat's ass. They don't pay city tax, so they don't care. Now, Jacob, if you decide to say something, just remember one thing. I am also a small business owner in the city of Wasilla that pays city tax. So I can clearly say that you do work for me, asshole. You work for me. So stay in pocket because you do work for me. I, I pay city tax. I, actually, I collect city tax on behalf of the city to make sure that you can stay where you're at. So stay in pocket. 
little boy. So, man. what do you feel? What do you feel about <laughs> all this, man? Man, this is uh, some of this information I didn't know before today. I like, you know, I had heard different um, answers to why we can't have nine one one out in Western Alaska, and why we can't have certain dispatch centers dedicated to, you know, helping state troopers do their job. You know, it's just one of those things where you're like, I'm floored. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. floored because I could never get a real answer. Everyone has different answers. And, you know, you and I have so, on social media this past two weeks, you have different people who work with the state who also have different answers of why there's no 911 system. I'm really curious. To, to We have these selected mayors and other people who have an opinion about who should have 911 and why weren't some of the corporations invited to the table? Why weren't, why wasn't anyone from AFN or, you know, a series, a big one, you know, we have some big representation for Alaska natives. We were like, why didn't we invite some of these folks to the table? I was like, Hey, this is what's happening with your, your, uh, community members. Nana runs one of the largest communication center in the private industry. How are they not getting invited? They know wow. communications. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. They they have their own communication center. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, you know, there's another, again, Yeah. another big. How did they not get invited? As a matter of fact, they, they actually take calls for yeah. some villages. Wow. This private dispatch huh. center. Man. Isn't that crazy? It's yeah. facts. Hey, man, you can learn stuff on this podcast. Man. <laughs> you can. You can. I'm learning today. Yeah. You know? uh, so uh, before before we end, uh, I like ending on a positive, and I want to talk about Heroes Without Capes, and you're one of my Heroes Without Capes. Uh, tell me about that, uh, and I know it's kind of difficult to talk about it, but uh, uh, I remember we were worried shitless for you with the snow machining accident. What happened with that? Why the hell were you even on? (laughs) Let's talk about that. What happened? If you're you're okay Um, with talking about it. If I'm sniping, you don't have to talk about it. No, it's fine. Um, I'm happy to share. Um, Let's see. So I was serving with Lower Yukon. I was based out of Amonic, like I shared earlier. Um, I had to go to one of my neighboring villages to Alekanuk for a domestic violence crime. And uh, the weather is not optimal that day, uh, but uh, it was a it was a crime where they needed a trooper res- to respond. So I responded. Uh, went down there, um, got a hold of a couple of the village police officers to help me out and go with me, so I didn't have to go by myself. Otherwise, it was a one man show. Um, fortunately, those guys stepped up, and uh, we went and took care of business and arrested the person who needed to be arrested and. Um, fortunately, I didn't have the prisoner with me. The VPOs um, were kind enough to take the prisoner and do the jail guarding. That facility was not very yeah. Good. That's a third world. I don't know why we would mm-hmm. uh, mismanagement of federal money there too. But go ahead. But that's what we rely on. Really poor conditions to house some of these people. Um, but uh, on my way back, I end up. Uh, rolling a snow machine and uh you know i lost consciousness for a little bit um i was pretty badly injured um i was in between the villages and it was 
a wintry night, no lights. Um, I um, lost some of my equipment. I lost my sidearm. The holster that was on my fire my side was supposed to be unbreakable, not unbreakable. <laughs> um, fortunately, I found my sidearm and I threw it in my backpack, and I was able to get the snow machine um, onto uh, its skids and uh, get back to Elmonic. But uh, you know, I got back and I was able to contact my wife and say, "Look." Tonight was not a good night. I got hurt and uh, contacted my supervisor. And, uh, of course, uh, you live in staying in rural Alaska. There are no night flights coming back and forth to Bethel. Um, so um, I was injured enough where I needed to call the health aid, and uh, that was on call. And uh, I got denied medical um, services. He's like, no, nah, you're not from here um sorry um take some ibuprofen um ho hopefully you can get that taken care of when you leave out of here uh back to wherever you're gonna go so um, you were denied medical services and yeah i was and then uh so i i was like all right i'll take an ibuprofen and, you know i notified my supervisor it's like hey call the health aid they said they're not gonna help me I got charging documents to do. I went back. I, uh, fortunately, having something to do while you're in pain is, is a good thing. But uh, once I completed those charging documents and everything, I uh, collapsed like a, a sack on the floor and I just lay there in pain because that's all I can do. And uh, I got irritated enough where I called the health aide and yelled at the health aide some choice things and said, you will see me tonight. And they saw me, but uh, they couldn't really do anything. They weren't going to do any x-rays. And he said, eh, hopefully wherever you're going, you can go get x-rays. So even though they saw me, there were still very limited things that they were going to do anyways. So um, it was just one of those unfortunate things where um, I was out of work for just a little bit. I rushed back to work because I was, uh, you know, we, you and I know that we, we live in a punitive culture with uh, the troopers and just like how soon can I get well enough to go back to work and, and still function. And I rushed my recovery and still, even while I was recovering, um, you know, no one from my own detachment and C detachment called to check on me. Um, I had guys like you, I had guys from B detachment who would hit up my wife and say, Hey, how's Mark doing? Um, but, uh, yeah, the only thing that I was asked from people that I worked for was, when can you come back to work? I think that's a, um, that's why it hurts to hear that. It's more common than we both want to admit with the department. I know endless numbers of troopers that returned to work before they were physically ready because they knew that uh, because of the punitive nature of the department. Mm -hmm. Hell, that's how I won my workman's comp uh, uh, claim against the state. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, the state is doing everything they can to bankrupt me now. It's, the state is all about, no, we'll go get your ass, but we'll get that money back. But that's why I keep fighting. That's why I got this podcast. But uh, the... Uh, 
Bro, you're... You and every other trooper that sacrificed their bodies for this goddamn, you know, for people that don't appreciate it. You're the real heroes, man. Uh, I don't know how many troopers, man. I've lost track of how many troopers. They came back. You see them. They're limping still, man, but they're still at work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it's not direct punitive sometimes. It's like the they hold they hold your friendships hostage because now you've got your they will overwork everyone in your in your unit until you come back and and they almost do it on purpose oh yeah when what they should be doing is taking that federal money that they were given and put those troopers those trooper PCNs where they're supposed to be yeah um yeah, I, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, man. But I hope that people listening to this realize, you know, uh, uh, what needs to be done. I have a solution, and I'll be talking about that uh, in episode 44. I have a, I have a good solution. They're not gonna be happy. <laughs> the bad people won't be happy, but the good people listening will agree that it's a good solution and it's feasible. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Looney Evans for governor. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, uh, no, I do have a, I think I have a solid solution. Uh, and we'll talk about it in detail. Episode 44, Amy will be here. And uh, yeah, brother, I'm so sorry, man. But man, you're my hero. Another one of the heroes. I appreciate you. Uh, talk about, uh, uh, as we end now, um, the stuff that you're doing right now, you know, you're working on your your uh, your masters or, or what's yeah. Going on? So yeah, um, you know, something I've learned along the way, um, you know, as we go through this career, it's a tough career, and so I, I mentioned it early on. I got involved in peer support work with the department, which is uh, one of that that's got its own challenges, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, there's some support, um, but uh, it with like anything, it could be better. And uh, so I decided along the way that, you know, I'm going to continue to better myself and help my fellow brothers and sisters uh, any way I can now that I'm out of the career field. Um, I finished my uh, my bachelor's degree in psychology recently, and so um, the plan is to join my wife. She's currently in her master's program for clinical counseling and uh, psychology, so she's going to have a double master's, and then I'm going to work on my master's for clinical counseling and my my whole goal is to keep helping my brothers and sisters um and let you know that uh you're not alone you don't have to self-rescue you know because that's the world where we we've lived in for so long where we felt like the only one who can rescue me is me (laughs) well that's 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 the wrong way of doing it as you know you know we we have to reach out and um, I want to be a part of that uh, changing culture of letting you know that you're not here alone. You don't have to do it by yourself. And that's why I'm here supporting you. It's like, you know, you're my brother. I'm happy to uh, be here with you, sitting next to you. Well, I appreciate that. And guys, if you want to see more of this stuff, please feel free to uh, visit us. Uh, Like, subscribe, and share it if you're uh, watching the videos. 
if you're listening to this on the podcast, on your favorite podcast a a platform, please share it with friends and family. Let's get the word out. Uh, also, uh, if uh, uh, you want to uh, support this this endeavor that I've got going on here, you can actually go to the anchor.com website and you can uh, uh, actually pay for a subscription. It's a donation. You know, it could be five bucks a month, a dollar a month, whatever, to help things going. You can also visit us online at agescomicsalaska.com, agescomicsalaska.com, where you could purchase uh, merchandise. We also have a Comic Con that's coming up because uh, uh, we try to keep things uh, positive at the shop, uh, you know, and, and have a place where people feel safe in the community where they can talk about stuff other than politics. Uh, uh, at the shop, it is 100% politics free. It's all about, the <laughs> only thing you could argue about is whether Tony Stark is better than Bruce Wayne or if Moon Knight is a copy of Batman. Uh, we, you know, it, that, those are the types of arguments we have there, right? <laughs> but, uh, 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 other than that, we really appreciate you guys. Uh, I will pop up this one photo here. This is uh, my ALIT class. Uh, uh, this was my academy class made up of multiple agencies. Uh, uh, and something uh, you'll be interested in is I'd say more than half of those people are gone. They are no longer in law enforcement. Wow. That should tell you everything you need to know. Oh, yeah. More than half of that class is gone. Never to return to law enforcement. Mm. You got to ask yourself why and what can we do to fix that? Guys, take care. We know that you have your choice in shows and what you listen to, and you decided to uh, choose this for some crazy reason. So we appreciate you for doing that. Take care. You just listened to the Aegis Comics of Alaska's podcast. Don't forget, new episodes drop every week. For more info about Alaska's comic book shop, visit www.aegiscomicsalaska.com.